Welcome to Galveston Unscripted. This episode takes us back to January 1st, 1863. The American Civil War made its mark in Galveston. Galveston was a key port for Confederate supply lines. Although the Union Navy had organized blockades at the entrance to Galveston Bay, blockade runners were still able to elude the Union ships and stifled the effort to cut off the Confederates' flow of shipments. In October of 1862, the Union Navy had finally seized control of the port of Galveston. On New Year's Day of 1863, a joint effort between the Confederate Army and a makeshift Confederate naval force attacked the Union vessels in the harbor. The Confederacy hatched a plan to use cotton-clad warships sailing out of Houston. These vessels were essentially steam-powered barges, with pressed cotton stacked up around the edges as armor. The Confederate Army, led by General John Bankhead Magruder, utilized the Henley Building and other smaller buildings on 20th Street. With cannon fire from the Henley Building and the cotton-clad steamers coming in hot from Houston, the Confederate forces got a jump on the Union Navy. The Confederate naval forces were outnumbered 6-2. to two. The Union naval forces consisted of six warships, the USS Clifton, the USS Harriet Lane, the USS Westfield, the USS Owasco, the USS Carifas, and the USS Sackham. All of these United States warships versus the Confederacy's makeshift navy, the two cottonclads, the CS Bayou City and the CS Neptune. The battle was initiated by the Confederacy in the early morning hours. The battle was short as the Union Navy was not prepared, and the Confederacy once again claimed Galveston. After this battle, the Union was never successfully able to maintain control of the port of Galveston, making Galveston the only Confederate port not successfully captured and held during the Civil War. The Henley Building is located on the corner of 20th Street and Strand, and is still standing today. If you look closely at the 20th Street-facing wall, you may be able to spot cannonball or shell damage on one of the pillars. While standing on 20th Street, in between Harborside and Strand, keep in mind that you are standing on a Civil War battleground. To dig a bit deeper into the Battle of Galveston, let's jump into my conversation with Ed Cottom, author of Battle on the Bay, The Civil War Struggle for Galveston. This is a short clip from our full podcast. If you'd like to hear more from Ed Cottom, check out the link in the description. General John Bankhead Magruder is sent down from Richmond, Virginia in the late fall of 1862 and comes to command here in Texas. And by the time he gets here, Galveston had already been captured by the Union in October, mainly by a, a group of, uh, of naval gunboats. And they were under the guns of those gunboats here in Galveston. And General Magruder arrived from Virginia and immediately set out to try and recapture the city because he realized something that uh, the prior general had not, and that is that to have any influence over the Confederacy west of the Mississippi, you had to control Texas. And the key to controlling Texas, he said, was to control Galveston. So to recapture Galveston, he came up with this incredibly bold plan, which involved basically firing a number of cannons from the waterfront over on the Strand area and, and, and even toward the water from there. And then in addition, he was going to come up behind the Federal fleet with a fleet of gunboats. But of course, there was no uh, naval presence to speak of in, in Texas waters at the time on the Confederate part. And so what he had to do was kind of create some gunboats of his own uh, by arming some of the packet steamers that went from Galveston to Houston. And General Magruder had been in Virginia and had, a, and had actually witnessed the battle uh, between the Monitor and the uh, CSS Virginia. And he'd seen that. And of course, those were ironclads. And he didn't have enough iron down here to do anything like that and, and certainly didn't have the resources to create ironclads. But what he had in excess was cotton bales because, again, they, were, they had cotton down here and they were 
they were compressing it and trying to you know put it on board blockade runners at the time. But with Galveston in federal hands, that was hard to do. So he had a lot of bales of cotton. So what he tried to do was to put these these cotton bales on these these uh, steamers that he was going to try to make into improvised gunboats, and he put them all along the rails and made them basically about two bales high and one uh, two bales deep, creating a kind of a knee rail knee rail or something that the guys could kneel on and then fire on from aboard. And he put a couple of cannon in the front of each one of these gunboats, the Neptune and the Bayou City. And then he had 300 sharpshooters, 150 on each boat, that he put behind these cotton bales, and they were going to be the naval part of the uh, Battle of Galveston. And then in addition to that, he took some more bales. He had an excess. And what he did was he put a large naval gun on top of a railroad car and put cotton bales all along that uh, that rail car. And he took that, that rail-mounted cannon, uh, which was armored with uh, cotton bales, and brought it down to Galveston and fired it during the Battle of Galveston. It, what, what's unique about this and interesting to me is it was only the second time in military history in the world where they had used a piece of rail-mounted artillery like this. And so what he was experimenting with was basically armored, uh, mobile cannon you know, artillery pieces and at the end of the war, they were actually trying to take railroad iron and take railroad cars and make them into a turreted uh, cannon-firing uh, armored vehicle. So what they were really experimenting with was the predecessor of the tank. It's, it's, it's fascinating. That is fascinating. Is there um, anywhere we can find any Civil War battle damage in Galveston? Yes, uh, there, there's a lot of Civil War damage in, uh, in Galveston, the most the most probably obvious place is if you go over to the Henley building at the corner of 20th and Strand and go back to the seventh column from the Strand, you'll see up at the top of it, of that Capitol, uh, that it's missing a big piece of it. And that is damage from the battle of Galveston. So when the, the Mitchell people were restoring the Henley building and I, I knew they were going to do it, I, I sent them a frantic email saying, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm loving what you're going to do with the Henley building, but please don't fix the damage on the seventh column because that's Civil War related. They assured me that it would not, and they did a wonderful job in restoring the building. At the end of the Battle of Galveston, uh, one of the staff officers on General Magruder's staff, on the Confederate staff, was a man named Albert M. Lee, L-E-A. And he went to the waterfront because he knew that his son, Edward Lee, had been serving as the first officer, the executive officer on board the USS Harriet Lane, which had been captured by the Union during the battle. And so this was literally a case when father was fighting against son. And at the conclusion of the battle, uh, Lee hurried across to the waterfront, was rowed out to the the Harriet Lane, which had been captured, and found his son mortally wounded on the deck. And they spoke for a few moments, and then and then Albert went away to see if he could find his son some medical attention. But, of course, by then it was too late. And he returned only to find that his, his son had died. Uh, but at, at, he asked about the son in his, his last moments and was told that at the end the boy kept repeating to everybody would ask, uh, I'm fine, my father is here, my father is here. And so the next day, something really, really remarkable happened in Galveston. And it was at the cemetery complex that's the Trinity Episcopal Cemetery today over off Broadway in that enormous cemetery complex. And at that cemetery, a 
joint funeral was held for uh, this young man, uh, Edward Lee, and his commanding officer, a man named Jonathan Wainwright, who was the captain of the Harriet Lane. And, and Wainwright himself was a Mason. And so the Galveston Masons, even though they were Confederate, and this was a Union officer, held the Masonic service for uh, their deceased uh, former foe, Jonathan Wainwright, and, and had the whole service there at the Trinity Cemetery. And not only the Confederates in the area were assembled, but all the Union prisoners as well. And they all were there while Albert Lee then read the Episcopal service over his son in this this uh, cemetery with both sides present for it. And after the war, a, a marker was put up uh, for Edward Lee. Uh, Jonathan Wainwright's body was taken north, but uh, Edward Lee still stands there today. And it's a very simple stone that has a broken anchor on it and the inscription that this is the uh, last resting place of uh, Edward Lee, killed in battle January 1, 1863, Galveston, Texas. And the only other thing on it is the quotation, my father is here. And, you know, to me, that says really more about what this war was about and what it involved than any other monument I can think of anywhere in the country. And that's that's kind of unique for Galveston. We had a very special uh coming together of people right in the middle of the war for this one very poignant experience. And it's something that uh, uh, I think a lot of people don't know about today, but but everybody is impressed by it and, and has to think about it because it's an amazing experience. For historic resources or more information, check out the episode description.